have fun with a bunch of strippers and blow. They won one Super Bowl. Who's calling him a fucking dynasty, dumbass? Edited. <laughs> the Howard Stern of sports. Please, police. <laughs> anyway, nine one one. Podcast just fucking went off the rails real quick. Hey, what's up? It's Arkan, and you are listening to Locker Talk Unfiltered with Brian and Jason. Listen to these guys. They got a lot to say. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Locker Talk Unfiltered. Um, as always, we have Jason. Jason, say hi. Hi. I I want to take a second and apologize for what's going to happen today. Um, it's going to make for some good um, good podcasting because I'm pretty sure you guys are going to hear me stroke out live. Well, not even live, but on the recording, you guys are going to hear me stroke out. It's, it's happening. I may not make it out of this room today. Yes, this might so, be the only yeah. pleasantry coming from Jason today. Yeah. And and then, of course, we are joined once again by John Locke of VTV. I feel like I need to secure the loose objects in here. That things may fly at some point today. From no, no, I'm not, not going to throw anything. We just need to make sure that there's no sharp, sharp objects. Yeah. I, may ta- I may take my life. So here. we are going to start with NFL Week 13. First of all, I can't believe it's 13 weeks in. And, um, you know, I will go first. I will go Game of the Week. For me is Cincy and Casey. Ooh, Holy option. crap. That rematch of the AFC Championship game was just... It was attention-grabbing right from the get-go. I mean, Travis, Kel- Travis Kelsey only had four catches for 56 yards with one fumble. Um, you know, Joe Burrow and the Bengals seem to be getting their shit together at, quite frankly, the right time. Um, and oddly enough... Last year's AFC Championship game was 27-24 in favor of Cincinnati. So, you know, that's as good as football is going to get, especially this year because there's been a lot of up-and-down games. Um, But instead of going right into my surprise of the week, I'll go, John, why don't I go you and go game of the week? Well, that's yeah. a good choice, what you have there. I'm going to go with another game that was on in the uh, 4.30 window, and that's the Vegas-Chargers game. I think I picked Vegas to win last week over the Chargers because Vegas, they're starting to kind of figure out what works, and that's using Devontae Adams as an epic uh, pass catcher. Eight receptions, 177 yards, two touchdowns. He had almost an insane catch along the sidelines that was called back, but Josh Jacobs again coming through big time, 26 carries, 148 yards, and a touchdown. The Chargers started off scoring the first 10 points, but after that, Vegas going off on a 27-10 run. To me, that shows that this team did came, did come to play. You know, you come in with an under 500 record into the final month of the season. That's very easy, especially for a team like the Raiders who play just off the strip to say, you know what, screw this, we're going to the slots, y'all have fun. But you know what? They came and played. Unfortunately, Foster Moreau, I think, did have a concussion in the game. But yep. I looked at the Raiders' upcoming schedule. There's an outside chance they could make a run at the uh, last wildcard spot. They need everything to go their way. But they don't really have a losable game up until week 18, I think, against the Chiefs. Because I look at that Patriots game, and after what we saw Thursday night, I think the Raiders have that one in the bag. 
You know, John, you took the words right out of my mouth. As the resident homer on this program, you took the words right out of my mouth. So thank you for saving me from an argument with Jason later on. McDaniels is coaching for his life right now, isn't he? And he's actually kind of... Well, not not if you listen to the reports in Vegas. I mean, come on, they're, they're broke. No, they, they're, they're not. They're I, not broke. They're the fucking Las I, Vegas Raiders. I know. I'm calling bullshit. Yeah, they, they have like a like a 17 billion dollar stadium <laughs> that they fucking. Just they can made. just go yeah. to Caesar's Palace and take out a loan. They're not broke. Right, they're but but broke. to me, this is a very important month coming up here because of Josh McDaniels. I think there's five games left in my math, right? But if he goes, you know, three and two, four and one, gets them into jockeying for a playoff position, at the very least getting to the in the hunt part of the graphic on CBS, to me that's a big win. And that shows free agents that, you know what, Josh McDaniels is going to be the coach next year. Come here and, you know what, maybe person X is that missing link and maybe McDaniels could be a big part of the uh, Las Vegas Raiders this year and in the future. Only time will tell, right? Yeah. It'd be interesting to watch what they do there. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's always interesting when McDaniels is involved because, you know, you look at what he did in Denver, and I think most people early in the year when they saw what was happening in Vegas, they said, this guy's, you know, a mistake. This second time around, he can't really do it. You know, maybe he's better as a coordinator, but, you know, they're in the hunt. Again, not on the graphic, but... They're at least relevant again in the conversation. Well, as John said, they're 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 putting the ball in their playmakers' hands. That I mean, we we saw, we talked about it last week, and it still holds true to this day that you know Josh Jacobs leads the league in rushing. Yeah, and Devontae Adams, I think he did sign the extension when he got traded, there, right? Right. So yeah. you have a assload of money going to Devontae Adams. You yeah. know what? Might as well use him if you're going to pay him what, a quarter of a billion dollars, probably. Yeah. Although the one thing I will say is I'm still not sold on Derek Carr as the long-term no. quarterback solution. I mean, as long as he's a game manager, I think that that team's going to be decent. As, I mean, they, they their defense has started to really produce over the last couple of weeks. You know, as you uh, to your take, you know, as you, as you said, you know, maybe there's a couple pieces that are just missing to kind of, you know, get this team over that hump. And maybe that comes on the defensive end of the ball. Maybe that comes in during free agency because, I mean, the offensive side, they, they look pretty good. I mean, they maybe need another pass catcher, a little bit more reliable. But... I mean, they're looking good. You know, they're 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 putting it together, which is, I mean, in, in my case, it's terrible to see. But you know, we, for, we will get into that for later on. for the game of football and and for everyone else that's a casual watcher, it's it's a good thing to well, see. So, Jason, real quickly before we go to your game of the week, I think Vegas should make a run at Brady in the off season. Uh, I mean. There were rumors of that. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess I, I don't know what it's. I, I, listen, he's he's got like a, he's on borrowed time. He's got a year or two at the most, unless. Well, he, we've said that for the last ten years. No, but so. I think I think right now it's 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 truer than it's ever been before. I mean, look at the production that he's had this year. It hasn't really been great. It's not typical Tom Brady esque. Is he gonna want? Are the are the readers gonna want to mortgage a lot in order to get? You know, one year of Brady because I mean, you're getting rid of Carr at that point. Either Carr's going to be a backup, or you're, or, or you're going to have to uh, trade him. I, th- I think it's, I think Carr's on contract for another couple of years. I think so, but I kind of just had a crazy thought kick into my head. Okay, maybe there's a quarterback of the future for Vegas, and he plays in MetLife Stadium for Gang Green, and he's not exactly on the best terms there. Ooh, could you Ooh. see a Zach Wilson to Vegas trade? Hey, hey you know what? Let's give him the receivers. Hey. Let's uh, touch see. upon that in a second. But, Jason, go ahead. 
your game of the week, please. Um, my game of the week is going to be an unpopular opinion, and um, as it always is coming yeah, from your mouth, I I understand that nobody likes kissing their sister, nobody likes ties, but my game of the week is going to be the Commanders and Giants. I ended in a twenty twenty tie. Uh, I mean, you had, you had um, Daniel Jones really kind of, you know, he he was the he was the bright spot for the Giants in that game. I mean, Saquon Barkley had uh, not a typical game for him. I mean, he had like something like sixty yards on the ground, did have a, a thirteen yard touchdown, so. That kind of saved his fantasy production, at least. Um, but you had, you 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 had Daniel Jones. I mean, he had like two hundred yards on the ground. Uh, two, I'm sorry, two hundred yards in the air, one touchdown, and he actually led the team in rushing too at seventy-one yards. Uh, kind of kind of crazy, right? I, I I can't really remember the last time that Daniel Jones has led his team in rushing. It's it's been quite a while. So, um, and on the other side of the ball for the Commanders, you had Tyler Heineke. He's really coming into a, going from a serviceable backup to a serviceable starter, and maybe even more than that. He's looking really, really good, and it's kind of turned that season around for the Commanders, right? R.I.P. Carson went I'm, Right. Yeah. We hardly knew you. Yes. Um, but yeah, Tyler Haneke, 27-41, 275 yards, two touchdowns. They got, they got a little bit on the ground, too, from Brian Robinson, 96 yards. But where they really, 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 really got good play from was going to be Terry McLaurin. Uh, eight catches, 106 yards, one touchdown. That that's a that's a turn back the clock game for him, right? That, that's something that you would find in the last couple of years. He just hasn't had it this year. I mean, with, with Carson Wentz uh, not even looking his way for whatever fucking reason, maybe because Carson Wentz is just stupid. Um, but I mean, he had Curtis Samuel as his security blanket, and ever since Heineke's been in, you know, Samuel hasn't really done much. Um, but McLaurin's kind of you know surfaced back and come back to form. The NFC East may have the entire division in the playoffs. Yeah. But what made that game so for me? What made that game as good as it was is, I mean, your your third and your fourth quarter. I mean, you had you know Heineke survived you know two fumbles, you know, to be able to lead his team back at with like a, a minute and change in the fourth quarter and you know get that that you know that that touchdown and then the extra point to tie the game. Overtime was a crapshoot. I mean, there was a lot of excitement in overtime. There really was, and there, there was a couple of scoring opportunities for both teams, and they just couldn't put it together, ending in the twenty twenty tie. But for me, it, it was that. It was that comeback at the very end, you know, that, again, surviving the two fumbles, not looking good for, for the commanders, but then being able to piece it together. And like you said, that division, that division may not be the best division of football, but it may be the most entertaining. Yeah. yeah. Um, so. Which we will get into in a bit. Just sure. there was a bit of a surprise, but not quite a surprise of the week where they, but speaking of that, I will go to my surprise if that's okay with you. Sure. My surprise of the week is actually San Francisco, Miami, and here's why. Brock Purdy, for those of you that don't know, is this year's Mr. Irrelevant, the last pick in the draft. First Mr. Irrelevant to ever score a touchdown. Um, you know, certainly Jimmy G goes down. What bad luck that guy continues to have. Um... I certainly didn't expect them to beat Miami, you know, on the arm of one Brock Purdy from Iowa State. Shout out to the Cyclones, but that's that's why they're my surprise of the week. He had a Purdy good game, didn't yeah, he? Yes, he did. Hey. You've had that one in the <laughs> pocket for a while. That was in the chamber for a bit. But, um, you know, it's just, side note, it's just really freaky how I can remember miscellaneous like trivial 
thoughts. Yeah, you're probably the only person on earth that remembered that he was Mr. Irrelevant the minute he walked into that game. <laughs> yeah. You're telling me, and I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? I had to I had to fact check it. I had to, I had to Donald Trump fact check it. <laughs> yeah. And but, sure enough, you were right. But you were impressed. It was very impressive, yeah. yes. The fact that you knew who Mr. Irrelevant is from last year's draft. I mean, he's Mr. Irrelevant. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Anyway. Um, But that's my surprise of the week. John? Uh, well, well, we had the same surprise, so I'll just kind of tack on to what you had. And it's a just domination of the 49ers against the defense like the Miami Dolphins. You think about what they had. That secondary is pretty good for the uh, AFC East, but also the time of possession, 40-34 for the San Francisco 49ers. This is almost like what the Patriots would do if they were taking on the Miami Dolphins. You know, clock control. Just hold on to the ball as much as possible. Make sure a team like the Dolphins with uh, Jeremy Waddle, a Tyreek Hill, make sure they don't get the ball. And to me, that was a big win. So I'll go with another surprise, and that was the, the uh, New England Patriots. Just how god-awful that game was on Thursday night. Uh, I'm going to get the stats up here in a second. I'm kind of playing my own audible. But 10 John, points. why are you torturing me? <laughs> why are you torturing me? No, but this is kind of an eye-opening oh, game yeah. on Thursday night. <laughs> kind of? <laughs> like, coming off of the Minnesota game, we thought that maybe they were starting to turn things around, that, you know what, it's a loss, but it was a loss to the Vikings in the fourth quarter. This game just didn't feel like it was going to go anywhere. And when you look at the stats from Mac Jones, 195 passing yards, no one rushed for over 55 yards, no one caught for over uh, 50, well, Marcus Jones had 51 yards, uh, receiving, but nobody else had anything going. It was all in one play too, wasn't it? Yeah, most of it. I think mm. most of it was on that trick play yeah. where he was on the side or he was on the near side. But 242 total yards. That's that's more of an indictment, I think, on this disaster because we saw the video that came out in the post game show. Mac Jones asking, "Throw the fucking ball. The run game sucks." Bingo. That's exactly what he said. Like it. This next month is going to be very interesting to watch just to see what happens because I retweeted it and I said, I want to see this at some point turning into Tom Brady, Bill O'Brien screaming at each other and throwing crap on the sidelines because that's what this is going to turn into with Mac Jones and Grimace arguing about whether to run through the A gap or pass for a two-yard play. Well, you know, the, the problem I have with this is now Tony Gonzalez, Richard Sherman... Ryan Fitzpatrick, they're all calling Matt Patricia out. So my question is, if everybody else can see it, why can't Bill see it? It's oh. embarrassing. I, I, I get that it's saving money, all right? Because, you know, Detroit's paying Patricia and the Giants are paying Judge. But seriously, I told my parents the other day, for those of you that don't know, I have the right to go to any sporting event that I want, um, you know, because of a birthday present deferred. I told them I wouldn't even want them wasting their time with the Patriots because the Patriots are so embarrassing right now. But um, you know, you know what it is. What? No, nobody's nobody's really talked about this. What? It, it, so the experiment is it, it's it's gone wrong, right? The offense is in shambles. It just hasn't worked. In order for them to get rid of Patricia or to move him over to to the defensive side of the ball or to even just whatever, you know, put him in the fucking front office, whatever, that would mean that Bill Belichick would have to admit that he was wrong. Yeah, yeah that, he was on Greg Hill this morning. I was trying to find the quote while you guys were talking, and he said, at this point, 
you know, there's not much we can do as far as as far as a big move. To me, that's the closest he's going to come to saying yeah, he's wrong. There right. was there was a thing on the ESPN alerts too that you know it's too hard to make changes at this point in the year. I think that's. That's what the fucking that, that's what it's about is making fucking adjustments throughout the season, making sure that you can. No, never mind. But you know that that's that's the whole calling card of um, Belichick's career is be, you know him being a mastermind of being able to make changes, and I think to Jason's point, that's the closest, or you know John, that's the closest that they've come to admitting that he was wrong. But I before we go into. The overall landscape of the NFL, Jason. What is your surprise in the week? Just gonna drink my coffee over here. Yeah. Mm. All right. I'm gonna try to stay as calm as possible. I can't guarantee anything at this point. The surprise of the week. My surprise of the week is just how fucking content Walmart is to letting <laughs> the fucking ship burn to the ground yeah. in Denver. That that's my surprise. I I you would never get this from the fucking Bolin family. Bolin family had owned the Broncos for generations, and they loved that team. That team was they, they were part of Denver lore. They they, they were the Bolins were the most famous family in in in, in Denver. And then they you know, Pat which Bolin, I have a thought on this afterwards. Pat Bolin, you know, God, God rest his soul. You know, his, him and his dementia, and his Alzheimer's. You know, he he sure came to that a couple of years ago. And the power struggle within the Bolin family kind of led to them just being able to sell. And, you know, here comes Walmart coming in. And you know, you, we've used the, the analogy and the joke a lot of times, you know, to roll back prices. But what's happening here is they're, they're just content in letting the fucking ship burn. And I don't understand it. I mean, this is the fucking Denver Broncos. I mean, this is one of the AFL's original franchises. This isn't just fucking Carolina Panthers fucking has been in there for uh, 20 years. And it, it is what it is. It's just a cash grab at that point. Like, this is a storied franchise in football. And you're just letting it burn to the fucking ground. Why you haven't fired Hackett, I don't fucking know. He's terrible. His game management, he's not even fucking calling the plays at this point. I mean, halfway through the season, he decides to give up play callings, and he's somehow still fucking the games up. I'll, I'll never understand this. And there's one number that comes to mind, and I've said it a bunch. <laughs> There's one fucking number that comes to mind, and that's four. All you have to do is you don't even have to be a serviceable NFL offense at this point. You have to score one point a game, eighteen points a game, four eighteen more four more points. They're scoring just under four. I'm sorry, just a little over fourteen points. That's not even a fucking NFL fran- uh, NFL offense. It, it's it's a high school offense. There's high schools out in America that fucking <laughs> score more than fourteen points a game. If you scored eighteen points a game as the Denver Broncos, you are ten. And two, you are leading the AFC. You have a first round buy at this fucking point. What the fuck is happening here? I'm going to put this mic away from my mouth a little bit because I'm, this is going to be too loud for everyone listening, but four fucking points. Four fucking points. All you have to do. I mean, the fucking Cowboys just got finished scoring 33 points in a fucking quarter and the Broncos haven't scored 33 points in a fucking game. Like, I, I don't, I'll never, never understand this. And you just went out and you just mortgaged your future. You gave $250 million to Russell fucking, I almost said Russell Westbrook. They're the same fucking person. But Russell Wilson, who's riding somewhere, who fucking knows? No one's seen him riding, but he's fucking He's not riding. even riding Sierra right no, now. No, 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 he's not. But I, 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 I will never fucking understand fucking 18 points a game. You just need to be, you, you don't even need to be a serviceable offense. I mean, how many other offenses are averaging 18 points a game? 
I think all the of Patriots them? might even be averaging 18 points a game. All of them. Every single offense, with the exception of the Denver Broncos, is probably averaging 18 points a game. <laughs> and, yeah, you know, you want, uh, listen, I've, I've used the bullshit. I've used the, oh, my God, you know, the offensive line. You know, there's like 17 injuries on the offensive line. You know, Russ has been hurt. Yada, yada, 80-something million on IR. 80-something million on IR. But you know what? None of it fucking matters because – all you needed was four more fucking points a game. That's a field goal and a fucking extra point. That's a field goal and a fucking extra point. Maybe one of these touchdowns that you score, like you you apparently score two of them a game, but you don't. I mean, 14, 14, 14 points is coming from fucking McManus. It's not coming from fucking Russell Wilson. Can I just point out something? No, you can't. Cause you, Go ahead. Because you made the statement of why haven't they fired Hackett yet? I, uh, not to bring up... Revisionist Bronco history, but you did say last week that the reason why they haven't fired Hackett yet is because then that would make Russell the scapegoat. Which they- and that's the fucking bullshit part about it is like, yeah, that that's what happens. I mean, you fire Hackett, all of a sudden Russell becomes a scapegoat. But at what fucking point does he deserve a little bit of the blame? I mean, we've been, Broncos fans and, and myself included, I, I I will I'll say that. You know, we've been putting the blame on Hackett because it's been easy. You know, we don't want to look at a Hall of Fame quarterback because let's call it what it is. But Russell Wilson is, has, has a Hall of Fame career at this point in time. Now, he may be tarnishing his legacy with the bullshit he has on that field right Maybe. now. Maybe. He's definitely tarnishing his legacy. Uh, but but at the same time, when does the finger need to be pointed at both of them? When do, when, it, when does it become Hackett, you know, problem one and fucking Russell Wilson problem, you know, problem 1B? At what point do we start to fucking actually look at this? But wasn't there a preview of this last year in Seattle for Russell Wilson? Like, that was a train wreck of a season. Now look at this. He gets traded. They have Geno Smith coming in. Yes, Geno Smith from the Jets. And now they're in playoff contention in Seattle while Denver is, you know, celebrating the Christmas holiday with Walmart. I'll I'll never understand it. Let me... Take it from here to give you a breather, Jason, because oh, you're yeah. turning red. Actually, you kind of look like rosé uh, rose wine, but uh, yeah. Four I, fucking points a game. I, yeah, four fucking points a game. Go ahead, Brian. I, I, I would love to see the Broncos play the Patriots this year and find out which no. high school offense would win out. So I, I uh, did some research here, and um, Denver has the 2, 4, 6, 8, 10... 11th worst offense in NFL history. Uh, the worst one is Jacksonville at 12 and a half per game. So, I mean, there's something to shoot for there. If it's not the number one pick in the NFL draft, there's that. They're not even already have that. They gave it to fucking to, to Seattle. I forgot about that. We did that last they, week. They, have, they gave it to Seattle. They're fucking. They're right now. They're fucking wanting to tank for Seattle. Like here you go, guys. You know, hey, they, here's we we listen. All along, you really thought that the fans were the 12th man. Nope, we're the 12th man. Here you go. I mean. Like, what the actual fuck? <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, this is why I told Jason coming into the studio this morning we might need the paramedics on on site. Oh, we're just starting. <laughs> we're just starting. I, I told you at the beginning. I told you during the introductions. This is going to be the fucking show that I stroke out at. I'm, I'm close. My left arm hurts. My left arm fucking hurts, and I'm losing fucking use of my legs. Sorry, Brian. <laughs> wow. But four points a game. Four <laughs> points a game, you have one of the best defenses in football, if not the best defense in football. People will say the Bills. But can the Bills say that if their fucking team scored 18 points a game that they'd be the number one seed in the in the, in the AFC? Actually, they are the number one seed at the moment, aren't they? Yeah. But anyway, I digress. <laughs> Details. Fucking, let's all let the facts get in the way of a good story here. Okay, go. John? Yeah. Thank you. 
<laughs> fucking four fucking points game. Four fucking points. A fucking field goal and an extra point, and you're the number one seed in the AFC. I'm, I, I am fucking beside myself. I'm fucking beside myself. And I spent the last five minutes just screaming at fucking four points a game. Fuck. I'm done. Are you done? Right now, I'm done. Okay. We, got, we all have a whole other segment that's going to have me lose it. Okay. Go ahead. So, real quickly. I need a drink. Real quickly to wrap uh, NFL Week 13 up. I will say this. Ann's pick of the Cowboys to the Super Bowl looking real good right now. Yeah. 30, uh, who would have fucking known? <laughs> 33 fucking points in a fourth quarter. Don't start. Like, it was 21-19 going into the fourth. Indy actually looked like they had a chance. But guess guess what? There's no more Saturday night fever. Dun-dun-dun. <laughs> because, holy shit, 33 points in a quarter. Again, Jason, not to harp on your Broncos, but... I don't even think they've sniffed 33 points all year. 23, 24 is the most. I mean, the game right. that they beat San Francisco. But so I, how, how about this for a quick question, though, when we're talking about the Cowboys? Yes. Better touchdown celebration with use of the Salvation Army kettle. The whack-a-mole on Thanksgiving or Zeke and Prescott with the jack-in-the-box with Zeke oh. coming out? That, I, the whack-a-mole. I don't know. Whack-a-mole. Dude, that, that, that Salvation Army, uh, <laughs> that one was pretty. That, that's going to cost um, – Somebody some money though, because the NFL doesn't like celebrations like that for some reason. No, I mean, listen, maybe another segment for another day. <laughs> there's been a lot of really good touchdown celebrations in history. Oh yeah, right? uh, yeah, mm, just wow. Yeah, yeah I, yeah. I, I, I'm. Waddles, I think, is probably uh, the best. I love, I love the Waddle, and everyone in the world is doing the gritty. I'm, I did the gritty <laughs> yesterday. I, I, I did. Brian, please back me up on this. Yeah, I did the fucking gritty. It was a yeah, bad gritty, but yeah, I did the gritty. Yes, you did. Yes. Mac Jones or uh, Jason? Better, better gritty over here. Oh, oh, oh God, me. Oh, Jason. My, my gritty. My, listen, my, with the my gritty might be better than Mac Jones. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And mine, mine comes included with batteries. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Uh, but anyway. <laughs> Ooh, boy, we need to take a breather. Um, four fucking points a game. Four points a game. By the way, uh, that's the second time this year the Broncos have only scored nine points on three field goals. This game, nobody watched it. I watched it. I left halfway through it to go get a fucking coffee. I was so we disgusted. We watched it. it I watched it, it with you. It was the the new. The, it was the worst. It was the new worst, 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 worst game that they had. I mean, every fucking game seems to be worse than the others. So. It wasn't even well, on NFL Red Zone. They didn't even show that Because there was no fucking Red Zone. Yeah. Like, nobody was in the Red Zone. I mean, right. Lamar Jackson went fucking out in, in the first quarter, and I'm sitting here thinking, like, holy shit, we can actually put together something and win. Oh, God, no, we didn't. Yeah, so we're going to take a break. Thank God. And then we're going to come back, and we're going to go uh, Boston sports teams. Um, specifically Bruins and Celtics, and we're going to have a debate about which team is better coming up in segment two, but we will be back. And we are back, people, after the um, medical personnel had to check on Jason, um, we are going to talk Boston winter sports. 
Uh, which team is better right now? I think it's a dead even tie based on their own individual sports and how they go. Uh, but, man, Jason, I hate to admit that you're right about anything. But Jalen Brown may be right up there with Tatum. Yeah. I mean, you may be able to—I mean, I don't want to jinx anything. God forbid if anything ever happened to Tatum, you might be able to weather this storm. It's going to be a tough road to hoe, but yeah, and you you might. Uh, Jalen Brown's a superstar. Uh, you put him on any team, and he's he's easily one of the best players out there. Easily. I mean, the way he played yesterday, he had what thirty five? I think he ended up with. Yep. And Something like Jason that. Tatum ended up with a very quiet twenty nine. Oh, he got twenty nine out. Yeah. Oh, really quiet. Yeah, I watched he, the entire game, and I he did went. Not he went. He started with like five points in the first half, and then yeah. somehow very quietly got twenty nine points. So, I mean, and you know, I, I'm I'm amazed at what Missoula's been able to do. But you know, you brought this up during the production meeting last night in, in the man cave because you know that's where we do most of our good thinking. Yeah. Coaching in the NBA really, really, really doesn't seem to matter at this point. No, it really doesn't. You can you can throw anything out there, and as long as you have talent on your team, you're going to be fine. Um, I mean, I think a good example of that is is Brooklyn uh, with Jock Vaughn out there. I mean, it doesn't really matter. The team still has done what they do. Uh, well, I, I know that they're, right now they're a middling team, but I, that's still a dangerous team. I mean, any team in that is, case, I did. I do think. Coaching did matter because I mean, they had talent on that team, and Steve Nash couldn't do shit. I think it depends on the players. Like you, we knew that in Brooklyn last year at the start of the season, it was Harden, Irving, and Durant. Then Harden gets shipped out for Simmons, and that train wreck is underway. But you look at the supporting cast all this time. Joe Harris, you knew he was going to be a sharpshooter, but then you start having that really precipitous drop off with Seth Curry in there. Nick Claxton, that that supporting cast is what is weighing the Brooklyn Nets down as far as production right. goes. Right. You know, you look at uh, the Celtics. Joe Mazzulla, I think, told Abby Chin uh, Friday night or Wednesday night. It was last week. But when it comes to drawing up plays involving Jason Tatum, he said, you know what, I just get out of the way and let them do their thing. Joe Mazzulla has a calmness about him because, you know what, he goes out there and he'll try and set up some different offenses just as far as schemes go after timeouts. But most of the time, when you have Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, uh, Al Horford, Marcus Smart, you can just throw the ball out there and, you know what, whatever happens, happens. The problem you have, and this is the one criticism that I've been able to watch with the Celtics uh, this year, even though they're nineteen and five, and I still think they're gonna basically coast through the regular season. Don't say that. Um, Don't say it. But the one issue that they seem to have right now, and Scal brought this up too, is most of their offense is predicated on the five out. And for those of you that don't know what the five out is, it's when all five guys are. <coughs> 
basing their starting positions in the offense along the three-point line rather than running half-court sets. The five-out is basically out at the three-point line and then go from go from there. Um, you know, Jason, we talked about it yesterday. Basketball pretty much seems to be very positionless at the moment. Yeah, And absolutely. probably going that way for the foreseeable future, if forever, if not forever. I mean, they rolled they rolled out of the lineup yesterday with, I mean, uh, granted it's positionless, but Tatum had to have been your five. Yeah. Which is... With he, Grant, he did that in the preseason a couple times, yeah. I think. So it just goes to show that, like like you said, and I guess like I said earlier, um, it, basketball really is becoming positionless. Yeah. But yeah. What, what's going to happen when Robert Williams comes back? To me, I think that's when it starts to really change. Right now, you're just trying to coast through the waters, and... At nineteen five, you know what? You do have a few games that you can play with, I guess, to uh, you know go with that five out offense, like you were talking about. But once Robert Williams comes back, I think the offense really changes. And to me, when he gets back, that's when things get really interesting. This is kind of just you know a de facto preseason. It feels like mm-hmm. I have some numbers on the um, on the schedule breakdown for the Celtics, but it's going to be very interesting when he gets back, just to see what it looks like. Well, you know you. It's funny you mentioned that, John, because my question is this. I'm not so sure that Robert Williams coming back helps this team right right now, only because, number one, they say he's on track to come back sooner rather than later. I'm not a fan of that. Hold him out as long as you can. You know this team is going to the playoffs. Yes, technically we don't know what seed yet, but barring some very drastic, unforeseen circumstance, this team is going to the playoffs. I don't want to screw with the chemistry that they have right now. And you you said it right now, you know, this having Robert Williams in there does change how they operate. And I'm not so sure that it's necessarily a bad thing to consider holding him out for longer. I mean, but to kind of... Somebody piggyback off this. Yeah, to kind of play devil's advocate with that. I mean, so we... Granted, it's it's a completely different year, completely different circumstances, but look at last year, and it took the second half of the season for them to really gel and for that chemistry to really kind of get there. And fast forward to this year, I mean, from day one, you you saw that chemistry. You saw that that gel. You, you, you saw that team with a, a whole new... A whole new attitude, a whole new, you know, a whole new team for the most part in terms of you know adding some pieces and the depth pieces and you know missing Robert Williams, but I think that you need to bring him back sooner rather than later, not because it's going to help or hurt the team, but because you need that time in order for that chemistry to kind of gel a little bit more. So if you wait until a month, a month left in the season, a month and a half left in the season, you're not giving much time for you know that team to gel for that chemistry to go. I will say this for however. I think you're going to see if when the minute he comes back, you get to see a flip flop. So right now the defense is a middling defense. It's I mean it's still a really good defense, but at the at the same time it's not really what they're hanging their hat on. But they're the number one offense in basketball. When you when you when you get Robert Williams back in there, you lose a little bit of that offensive presence, but you add the defensive side, right? So you could see that flip flop. I I really hope to see the offense stay consistent, stay the way that it is, and then add Robert Williams in there for defensive purposes, and it kind of just works out but 
who knows what happens. Well, look at this road trip. You have Brooklyn, Toronto on a back-to-back. Then you have the Los Angeles back-to-back. Al Horford doesn't play back-to-backs. Now, I'm not saying this is the biggest reason to bring him back, but if you had a Robert Williams in there for defensive purposes on nights that Horford couldn't play as a stretch four or a five, to me, I think that makes this team better on both sides of the ball. That's going to make you know, teams like Toronto or Los Angeles really start to move their pieces all around because right now, if you want to stop the Celtics, all you have to do is make sure, you know, Marcus Smart gets the ball on the wing or Grant Williams has to shoot a ball not in the corner office. Or get them the overtime. Right. right. I, I, so I kind of... Yeah, run your numbers, John, because I, if I remember correctly, this is the road trip that you said you wouldn't be surprised if they go under 500. So... The, the way they played the third quarter last night. <laughs> Why don't you run through those numbers real quick? So they faced 17 teams this year. Eight have been ab- as of after the Celtics game, so it could have changed a little bit. But eight were above 500, eight were below 500, and the Dallas Mavericks are at 500. Against the teams that are below 500, they're 11 and three. Against the teams that are above 500, they're seven and two. So think of that. They haven't faced Milwaukee yet. They still have to face Golden State on this road trip, Phoenix on this road trip. Um, to me, this is a sign that the Celtics are beating the teams that they should. Miami, they're 2-1 and one against right now. But, you know, and the same can kind of be said for the Bruins too. We'll get to that in a little bit, I think. Yeah. But they're beating the teams they should. They're blowing out the teams that they should. And when you look at this roster, 19-5 and five right now, they may, that may be just a hair over where I thought they'd be. But I think... I think they're kind of where a lot of people thought they would be, so it shouldn't be that big of a shock. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's it's really not much of a shock for me. It is very exciting and very entertaining to watch them. Um, I did pose the question last night of, does anybody miss Ime? And, you know, Jason, you brought up the point of, you know, missing his defensive play calls and defensive presence, I guess you could call it. Sure. But, I mean, really, that that's about it. Because if you have Ime's defense from last year, those games that have gone into overtime where they've just run out of gas, I don't think that's an issue because I think you cut down – the other team's offense. Well, if you have by e- at least half, if you have Eme in there, the, the question. So we we kind of talked about shortening the rotation la- um, yeah. last night. If you have Eme in there, you're shortening that rotation, and that's just kind of the way that he coaches. So you're right now you you're you're easily running an eight man rotation, nine at man least, rotation yeah. at least. You know, and add Robert Williams back into that. What are you doing? That's almost like a ten-man rotation at that point, and I think that that's kind of what's working out right now for the offense because you're always adding, you're adding different look up uh, looks on on you know on the court at that time because you have so many weapons, so many pieces. You're you're so deep. Um, but when eBay eBay coached it, it, you, maybe it was because they just weren't as deep. But you 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 lessen that rotation down. So if you let, if you if you run, you know, like what a, a seven-man rotation at this point. Who's who's the odd man out? And then it, it, add Robert Williams back into the mix. You know what I mean. So you got two odd men out. Is is it Grant Williams? Is it is it Hauser? Who I would think it had to be. It would have to be Hauser. But he's he's your he's your marksman. He's your sharpshooter. He's the one that you get out there when you need a big bucket. You know, in terms of like a three, he's he's the one out there that used to space the floor as well. So because 
you have to, you know, you have to put him out there. The minute you put him out there, you have to respect that. You have to start, you know, you can't switch on ball screens as much. You have to, you, you have to do those things. You know, you have to be able to get out of him on, on the arc. So is he really the one to come out? I mean, so you start to, you know, it's a, let's, let's be honest. It's a great problem to have. hundred mm-hmm. percent. Um, as somebody who's been in the coaching world, it's, it's, it's a great problem to have, but it's also a blessing and a curse because somebody's not going to be happy, regardless of how they play it off publicly. Somebody's not going to be happy. Yeah. But um, my last point on the Celtics uh, piece of this segment would be thank God for Malcolm Brogdon coming on this team because he extends and lengthens that bench depth and – you're seeing stuff that w- it's crazy to think that that one player has m- helped me realize what exactly we were missing last year because now instead and we've talked about this quite a bit Jason and I'm not on the bandwagon so to speak you're not allowed to be on the bandwagon but, Go ahead. but I know you're but, going. I know where you're going with this <laughs> just keep the same but, energy but you you yourself have even said a couple times that there's been a few shots that last year Marcus would have taken that he has now passed up on because he knows he has better options and he's able to read the floor better. So I think Malcolm Brogdon, for me, might be, you know, your early candidate for Celtics team MVP. Maybe, possibly. Yeah, think about the finals. If you had Malcolm Brogdon in the NBA finals, you'd probably be talking about going for Banner 19 this year. Sure. Because you had Peyton Pritchard coming off the bench, and he's not Malcolm Brogdon. And Brogdon, I think the big thing for him was realizing that he's not going to be the starting point guard because he is so injury-prone. To me, it's more important that he is on the bench and help kind of give the bench their own identity, which they didn't have last year. So great Great take by you. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's amazing to watch. Because if you remember, you know, like you said, John, going back to the finals, they were up in game, what was it, five? Mm-hmm. With about three and a half minutes to go, they were three and a half minutes away from being up 3-1. And at that point, I don't think Golden State, as good as they are, if you have a 3-1 lead, you you pretty much salt away the series. Sure. So that, again, it's crazy to think that one player is going to make that much of a difference. But, oh boy, look out, because if Gallinari can somehow come back ahead of schedule, that lengthens the bench even more. That gives you... You know, I'm not expecting it, but that gives you another option. So that, you know, goes back to your take, Jason, about, you you know, who's the odd man out. But let's switch over, if we could, um, to the Bruins. Yeah, we posed the question, who's the better team, right? Yeah. I don't think you can go wrong with either one. I think this is a, you know, to use the old... Scantron multiple choice analogy. This is a all of the above. I really don't think you could say one team is better than the, than the other because the the sports are so 
different, but yet ident- they basically have identical records. They do, but there's one there's one big part about this. So I, if I could just have the floor for a second. So we we talk about who's the better team, right? That's that was the question. Po- uh, that was a question you know, posed in this podcast at the moment. So you, lo- you look at the. There's a lot of similarities between the two teams, right? So both of them have new new head coaches going into the year. Uh, both of them both of them have sacrificed a little bit of the defensive philosophy for the offensive philosophy. Um, they're they're both kind of having kind of similar but yet different identities, right? In terms of this year compared to last year. Yeah. Um, so l- look at the numbers. I mean, both team both teams are the best teams in their respective sports, right? Boston, uh, the Celtics are the best team in basketball right now, whereas the Bruins are the best team in hockey. It's not really debatable. But I think that the gap between the best team and the second best team is a little bit closer when it comes to hockey. Um, there's another team out there that no one's really talking about, and that's the, New Jersey Devils. I was going to say the Devils. Right. So, I mean, to, to kind of go back to the Celtics for one second, you know, you, you look at them. They're 19-5, and five, first, you know, first, in, first in, the, in, the, in their their conference, first in their division, first in the league, right? Yep. They're three games up on the next two teams, and that's going to be Phoenix and, and the Bucks. Three games up on that. Yep. Whereas the Bruins have a 20-3 and three record, you know, 40 points, right? Um, but the next closest thing is going to be New Jersey Devils. They actually have more points than, than yeah, the Bruins. Yeah, they have 41, I think, as uh, of last 40, night. 42. 42? Yeah, I think it was 42 I saw, but it, it okay. may be 41. I could be wrong. But anyway, um, and, and they are only one game back in the last column. So as as good of a start as the Bruins have had, and obviously there's a there's a homer bias here in in, in New England, the the Devils are having just as good of a start, right? Yeah. So that that gap, in my opinion, is going to be a further gap in terms of the Celtics than it was the, than it is the Bruins. Yeah, and the other, you know, I think to piggyback off of that for one second, I think you're going to be able to. That gap says more about the Celtics than it does about the because even even if the Bruins were to establish said gap, hockey postseason is such a wild card sure. in and of itself. I mean, what was it the two thousand nine L A Kings that were the eight seed back before they changed the playoff format to include wild cards and you know all that stuff. But the 2009 L.A. Kings actually won the Stanley Cup as um, the eighth seed in the West. Yeah. So I think, you know, that gap that you speak of is actually, it speaks more volume in the NBA than it does in the NHL. Yeah, and there's also the question too: Is do you does anybody really want the Bruins to win the President's Cup? I sure as hell don't. I, I, nope. I, I said right from the beginning it was a curse. Yeah. Go I, go back and check tape. Check tape. No. I, I don't want run them it back. It. I, listen, if they, if they're the second or third or fourth best team in the NHL, I'm fine with that. That's I mean nobody expected that. I I said day one that they I thought that they were a middling team if if not a lower team. That take did not age well, and no. that's fine. I'm okay with that. I mean, this is not one of those takes where I'm. I want to be. I want to be right, but you know. But I will. You know, we said going into this um, segment and going into this week that you know their toughest stretch to this point was coming up, and sure. they they have handled Tampa well this year 
in the regular season. I think they're now three and zero, if not two and zero, against Tampa. And they, Jason, you were lucky enough to be there the other night. I was. But they manhandled Colorado. Yeah, they beat the brakes off of that them. game. I mean, it was close for a minute in the third quarter, metaphorically speaking. Um, you know. It looked like momentum was shifting. Uh, momentum, uh, momentum definitely was shifting. Colorado had that that period in hand, and it it was they were getting shot after shot after shot after shot on Olmark. And thank God Olmark, you know, he he did well. Where the hell did he come from, by the way? I mean, I know we're, you know he's been in the league, but go ahead, John. No, he came from Buffalo. I was just doing some research on the Presidents Cup trophy, just to you know, because you were talking about how much of a Curse. detriment this is to uh, team success. You know, Florida last year, Colorado the year before that, the Bruins in 2020, Tampa Bay, I think, was probably the best team out of that. But, you know, the Bruins had that um, dumpster fire in the second round of the 2014 playoffs. But just to get back to your point about Allmark, I remember when the Bruins got him from Buffalo, it was, why in God's name are we getting a goalie from Buffalo? And I was of the same thought logic. I thought this was... You know, going from Tukarask to Jeremy Swayman, I thought this was kind of going to kind of be a lateral movement. But to me, the big thing for the Bruins in their turnaround is the fact that they've beaten the odds here. You think about starting the season off, you had, I think, one good defenseman on your, on your top pairing. I think Grizzlick was down with a shoulder injury. Yeah. I'm not a big hockey guy, so correct me if I say anything wrong. But Good McAvoy out, too. Right. Marchand was out with a hip injury. Then he comes back for that uh, big, I think it was Halloween surprise. Yep. Um, then you have the injuries to Swayman and Allmark. So the Bruins have continued to face injuries with the with their top players, and they've continued to just beat the brakes off the rest of the league. Now, thankfully, the Celtics haven't had to deal with that same issue, except for Gallinari and Williams with the knee injuries. But to me, that's what makes the Bruins the better teams, the better team, I should say, in boston right now and i'm a diehard celtics fan i get bruins fans crap all the time when they lose but i have to give credit where it's due you know what boston bruins they're the better winter team right now Ooh, and actually you know what john you made me think about something taylor hall a former league mvp is now moved down to the third line and gives them depth that i don't think they've had for at least 10 years. They've been top-heavy for at least a decade. Probably since they won the Cup in... Yeah, I mean, the Merlot line was... 2011? Yeah, that fourth line, the Merlot line was... I mean, most teams don't even run a fourth line anymore just because... And now you have Taylor Hall. Who else is on that third line? Help me out, guys. I can't remember. With the other two. I honestly can't remember what the top man. Nick Foligno, maybe? Coyle. And Coyle, yeah. yeah. Why I didn't know that. Uh, Monday morning brain fog. Um, but that being able to provide that amount of depth internally without having to go outside the organization, where, quite frankly, in my opinion, Don Sweeney, that's probably been his one downfall is... Um, except for Hampus Lindholm last year, acquiring um, pieces outside the organization and giving up too many assets. That being said, this year, you you spend that first-round pick 
and you go get a guy like Patrick Kane from Chicago to just add, you know, we always talk about veteran presences in the locker room. That's one where Kane may not play very much, or maybe he will. I, I don't know. But to have another veteran piece in the locker room is going to be huge come playoff time. I think you need to use that pick. Uh, there's there's a double-edged sword there, right? Two, yeah. Two things. I mean, you should use it to restock right. behind Patrice because, look. Well, that and you it, need to contingency. If they win the cup, then Patrice is walking away. Or at least he should because why would you want to not go out on top? I mean, just, just saying. There's the potential loss of Patrice, but we haven't really talked about the I mean, the contract of uh, one David Pasternak. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think that maybe you need to use that pick if you're going to be trading it, and and you need to do something to that. There needs to be a contingency plan there. You lose pasta. That's that's a <laughs> you lose huge pasta, loss. You go from best team in the league to you know District Five level, right? And as we'll get into a little bit later on in this podcast, I mean you. You need to take care of those talents that you have. You need to retain oh, yeah. it. Oh, yeah. So let me ask you as a Bruins fan, do you put all the chips in and do you trade that first-round pick just to have that shot at a second Stanley Cup for players like, you know, Brad Marchand, the Patrice Bergeron? Because to me, I think you'd go ahead and say, you know what, screw the next four or five years. If I am essentially guaranteed a Stanley Cup, I do everything I can to get that cup this year and we'll worry about the future in the future. I think the problem with that is, is just kind of like to to piggyback off what Brian said earlier, is that hockey is never, it's never one of those sports where you can just look at it like there's a powerhouse and they're going to go rough shot through the playoffs and they have a, they're, they're, they're a lock for the Stanley Cup. You don't have that. I mean, like you said, you know, the LA Kings, you know, eighth seed in the Western Conference, wound up winning the cup because, because um, who is it, Jonathan Quick? Jonathan Quick, you yeah. had he he um, stood on his head that year. Yeah, you had Anze Kopitar. You had offense that L.A. hadn't had since probably right. Gretzky in the eighties. Even uh, as the eight seed, though. Yeah. So uh, to to, uh, to to kind of go off your point, Brian, I mean, anything is possible. So do you mortgage your future for just another eight seed in the Eastern Conference to have a goalie to stand on their head and win the cup? I, I don't think so. Well, I, I really don't. Conventionally. Conventional wisdom would say no, but given what Patrice has given you as a player and the loyalty he's given you, you know, organizationally, I think you owe it to a guy like Patrice who came back on short money. You know, if you're if you're knocking on the door unexpectedly, I think this would be the one year that you make the exception to push all the chips in and say, you know what, let's go out and show that the regular season wasn't a fluke. You're looking at a team that didn't do that with Chara, though. But but see... And Chara was one of, if not the most decorated captains in Bruin history. Right. But, again, they tend to lean towards offense in that league more than they do defense. Fair enough. I'm I'm just being honest. Fair enough. You know, yeah. they they looked at the problem with Jara at the end was they looked at him like it was a revolving turnstile, you know, of a defenseman. You know, they had seen that he was washed up in terms of being able to be like a number one defender. But I don't know. It's 
it's a great time to be at the garden. Oh, yeah. Probably why we can't. That atmosphere the other night, oh, oh my God. I don't even want to talk oh, about it, God. Jason, because I'm still trying to figure out which game I want to go to. <laughs> um, but, yeah, let's take a break and prepare ourselves for the Armageddon that is coming up next. Because <laughs> we will be talking about, um, I don't even want to call them their their actual name, Let's take a page out of Daniel Snyder and the Washington Commanders, formerly known as the Washington football team. Let's just call them the Boston baseball team. Boston has a baseball team? Exactly. We'll, we'll be back. Hey, what's up? It's Art Can for Swing Juice. Uh, if you're on the golf course or even if you're off and pick up some swing juice apparel, great stuff they got there. And if you want a discount, uh, enter Locker Talk 20, get 20% off. Thanks to my guys over at Locker Talk Unfiltered. Hello, everybody. We are back and we are... <laughs> We've reached that point in the program where we have to address the team that is um, residents of Fenway Park. Um, John, I'm going to defer to you early on in this segment. Cause We're talking about Billy Joel. <laughs> Jason? Oh, sorry. We're talking about the Red Sox. Uh, yeah, exactly. Sit over in the corner. Look. Sorry. Let, let's let the... Go ahead. The kitchen. I'll let the adults talk. Go ahead. The kitchen, uh, the chicken soup, stew in the pot for a little longer, because oh uh, <laughs> I think Jason's over there ready to pop like a popover. Oh yeah, the question today is going to be which is worse, the Broncos or the Red Sox? But to me, this team is just continuing to be an embarrassment in it of itself. Okay, you look at Fenway Park right now; they're whoring the place out for high school football, college football, stadium shows. Card shows, who knows, whatever the hell else. This Red Sox ownership should be embarrassed by itself, but it's not because you have Grandpa John over here across the pond worrying about uh, Linda's wallet. And the thing is, when is this. Is she British, by the way? I don't know. I doubt it. <laughs> no. But the thing is, when this ownership group bought the Red Sox, we all thought that they were going to be here to make the baseball group better. Turns out all they were really here for is. You know what? If we can get if we can make this baseball team a little better, that's cool. We broke the curse. We got multiple championships. Awesome, great. Unfortunately, they've just turned Fenway Park into flipping houses because they turned it from this hellhole in the in the late nineties to one of the best ballparks in 2022-2023. But right now, all fans want to do is go there, sing their stupid ass sweet Caroline, their dirty water, get their beer, lead by the fourth inning. And the Red Sox ownership doesn't care because if they cared, they would have signed Xander Bogarts to a long-term extension. If they cared, they would have signed Rafael Devers to a long-term extension. Don't give me the excuse that you don't have the funds. You're the Red Sox. Baseball is nothing more than an invisible salary cap. You can spend upteen million dollars signing players like Bogarts, Devers, Evaldi, whoever you want. You're the Red Sox. Go ahead and spend money. You have the you have the most popular somehow regional network in Nesson, bringing you in countless millions of dollars. Where right now all the Red Sox are is just a part of John Henry's portfolio. At the very least, after these winter meetings, I don't want to read 
any more tweets of the Red Sox are interested. The Red Sox have strong interest. The Red Sox are seeking to sign. No, I want to read the Red Sox signed this player. The Red Sox extended this player. Right now, thing number one for Heim Bloom, how he still has a job, I have no idea, is they need to sign Xander Bogarts to a long-term extension. Keep your pink hat fans happy. He gives you the best chance at winning right now. But if you can't sign Xander Bogarts, understandable. He wants a bunch of money. You probably can't do that compared to Dave Dombrowski. Go out and show you give a damn about this baseball team. Because right now, I thought that this ownership group should have sold this dumpster fire of a baseball team. Where right now, all it is is just, you know what? I have a spare couple bucks. I'll go to Fenway Park just to go ahead and get my stupid-ass brick in 2012 with Bobby Valentine, oh. but that's it. <laughs> well, Me- Meanwhile, the Red Sox have the highest ticket prices in baseball, the high concession- highest concessions prices in baseball. I haven't let you out of the cage yet. Okay. Because <laughs> I, I have some things to say. Go but for I'm, it. I'm sorry. I, I apologize. Go ahead. Yeah. Um, so you're right, John. Fenway Park and baseball in Boston has become – Less of a sport and more of a tourist attraction slash atmosphere and ambiance attraction than it is baseball. And the John Henry is not only looking to, you know, keep the Red Sox in his portfolio, but he's looking to expand his portfolio into buying the Washington Commanders from one Daniel Snyder, and I I heard recently that if he's successful in that bid, he would move somebody like Sam Kennedy, who obviously handles the business side of, um, you know, the Red Sox as president of the Red Sox, over to the Commanders. So you're going to lose, quite frankly, one of the best business managers in the last 20 years of Boston ownership, but uh, here's the problem. They they cheap out all the time, and and I, I just, I don't get it. Can I, can I interrupt for some breaking sports news? <laughs> oh, my Go God. On. He is about to blow right <laughs> no. now. I just saw. No, okay. No, hold never mind. I, never mind. I'm sorry. Oh, I, I, will, I will break this sports news oh, when um, it's my turn. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, hold on a second. So when are you actually going to, like, put a representative product on the field? Moneyball was a cute little movie. Moneyball was a good little book. But seriously... The hot stove hasn't been hot around here for about, I don't know, 10 years, maybe. And I think that they should have sold the team probably right after they won the championship in 18, because that was historically the best team in Red Sox history, right? 108-54, I believe. Sounds right. So... Talk about sell high. I mean, why not sell now? But, ladies and gentlemen, we have a pit bull on a leash ready to explode. And apparently there's breaking news. So, And it doesn't look like it's good. Not good breaking news. Okay. So I will apologize again right now for number one, just how angry I'm going to get. I'm going to sit back and enjoy and, my coffee. And number two, I'm going to apologize because this may be a little long-winded, but I ask you to just stick with me. I mm-hmm. promise. It'll be entertaining. 
mm-hmm. and it'll be chock chock full of information. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so why don't you start with? Okay, so one of the biggest the breaking news. Well, I'll get into that one second. So one of the biggest areas of opportunity for this um, baseball team in Boston, who I refuse to mention by name. The Red Sox. Yeah, right. So one of one of their biggest areas of opportunity is going to be on the starting pitching side. You've you've lost Evaldi, you've lost Waka. Uh, yeah, I mean Chris Sale is going to be the best thing you got coming back, and he's a bag of dicks. Evaldi's gone. Well, he's he's a free agent. Yeah. Who God only knows if they resign him. But anyway, so there was one big pitcher out of the market that that you could have made a push for. Again, you you have more money than God, and, and that's Justin Verlander coming off of a Cy Young performance. Mm-hmm. He is just breaking sports news as of a minute ago has signed a contract with the New York Mets. The New York Mets. And this is a Mets team who the last two years has bolstered their starting rotation. They have uh, they have Scherzer uh, and Scherzer at that time was coming off of a Cy Young as well. You now have Verlander coming off of a Cy Young. Um, who's the other one that they got? I'm, I'm, well, they had Degrom, but he went to Texas. Yeah, that's right. Okay, so you needed to do something. Yeah. But the 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 fact remains is you know we 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 look at them. We look at the Mets. The Mets are doing everything they can right now to bolster that team and to get, to get in the conversation after a decade of of losing baseball. A, de- a decade of suckage. Yeah. So, um, and then you look at what's going on on the other side of the, uh, the other side of the coast, right? On the West Coast, you have you know Mark Walter and Todd Bowley, the owners of the Dodgers, who again are and the, Magic Johnson and Magic Johnson as well. Let's not forget that. Um, but. They're they're doing everything that they can in order to kind of bolster their franchise and, and get back into the winning position and never even really leave, right? I mean, they they've been there for what ten about ten years now. Just about yeah, yeah. yeah so Magic they, is the epitome of diversifying the portfolio portfolio in the correct manner, right? So you you have you have splashes being made, and Grant, like you had t- kind of touched on it a little bit before, John. You know, baseball hot stuff doesn't really pick up until after the winter meetings. So uh, I guess we can give them a little bit of a pass there, but I refuse to. Um, so you, your, your team in Boston, right? Again, I, I refuse to. They're they're dead to me at this point. So the, the, after this, after this conversation, I, I they're dead. I'm they don't exist to me after this point. But your your biggest fucking free agent splashes that you've made so far are Franchi Cordero getting rid of him. I mean, not much of a loss there. He's gone to the Orioles, by the way. Yeah, you have a, you've signed a second baseman, Hoy Jun Park, who hit for two six. Who had a two sixteen average, zero home runs, it started exactly zero games last year. Um, you have a a bullpen arm in Jolie Rodriguez. He had a four point one seven ERA as a fucking reliever. Yeah, works out where the Red Sox. What the fuck, right? And then you have another bullpen arm, Chris Martin, who's a three point three one, point three one ERA. ERA. What the fuck are you doing? Like, what the actual fuck are you doing? Meanwhile, the fucking Mets are out there signing people like fucking Justin Verlander, and you're fucking signing fucking Hoi Jun Park. What? Like, like what? And they didn't actually sign him; they traded for oh, him. Oh, that's more. right. Thank you. It was a trade. Which, which makes me wonder, what the fuck are you giving up for him? It was. It, it's got to be next to nothing. I don't know, but anyway. I, well, it should be next to nothing, but the way this team operates, who the fuck knows? And then you have the one thing that boils my fucking blood, and that's the that's the Xander Bogart situation. <laughs> oh, here we go. <laughs> that. Xander Bogarts right now has te- has offers from teams like the Padres, the Diamondbacks, the Dodgers, the Twins, the Orioles, the Phillies, the Cubs, and that list is expected to grow. This is one of, if not the best shortstops in baseball, and he was he's been in your fucking franchise for God knows how long. And at this point, the Boston Globe is this is today. 
Boston Globe has reported that... Which is owned by the Boston Red Sox, right. by the way. Boston Globe is reporting that between 8 and 11 teams have shown interest in Bogarts, and the Red Sox are not positioned in that group as of Sunday afternoon. What? The fucking... Red Sox I, again. What? I'm, I'm sorry. That's that. The, the You're fucking, giving them too much credence. By the Boston baseball team, is not is not even on that list. They, in fact, according to two sources, Bogart's former team has yet to even make it a competitive offer. Well, if you go back to what Peter Gammons said last week, who, by the way, I consider Peter Gammons to be the godfather of baseball. Screw, screw Ken Rosenthal. But according to him, Bogarts has already told people he's severed ties with Boston altogether. And a shout out to Tyler Milliken, who actually took a screenshot on Twitter the other day showing that Xander Bogarts, a.k.a. the X-Men 2 on Twitter, is following the San Diego Padres. So, Boston. You've lost him. (laughs) You fucking lost Xander. But I will say this. The one potential <laughs> gleaming light. <laughs> oh, well, that one was expected. But Wait, fucking still. Ladies and gentlemen. We got more breaking sports news, <laughs> and this is an expected one, but the Dodgers have re-signed Clayton Kershaw. Look at the fucking Dodgers. I don't, I'm sorry to fucking cut everyone off, but give me a fucking second. The fucking Dodgers, again, we just talked about the Dodgers. They're doing everything that they can to fucking make sure that they get back to the World Series. They just re-signed Clayton Kershaw. He's been a fucking Dodger for life. They have re-signed him for the last three fucking years. They're going out there and they're re-signing their fucking talent. But the Red Sox can't fucking re-sign any of their talent. Lester, Bogarts, fucking Bo, uh, fucking uh, Book, uh, Book, Book, I can't even talk right now. Bookie Mets, which is kind of like Mookie Bats. I'm fucking losing it here. Fucking Mookie Bats. Fucking, you're not going to re-sign Devers. Like, what the fuck are you doing? Go out there and sign Billy fucking Joel. Like, he's fucking going to be the resident of fucking Fenway Park. What the actual shit is going on? You haven't even made a fucking competitive offer to Xander Bogarts, the best fucking shortstop in baseball, and you've had him in your fucking, in your organization for, what, eight, eight, ten years? Probably longer. Actually, 13 years, because they signed him as a... International free agent at sixteen. Jesus Christ! And you have you have High and Bloom. You have High and Bloom who fucking lies more than fucking Donald Trump. He's out here saying, "Well, well, recycling Bogarts is our number one priority." <laughs> Meanwhile, last year you go out there and find Trevor Story, right? Fucking Zogarts. I can't even talk. <laughs> I can't even fucking talk. Fucking Bogarts is your number one priority, but you go out there and sign Trevor Story, right? And you fucking say, oh, he's going to be our second baseman. That's a load of horse shit. Anyway, but you're, you're, again, number one priority, but you just made a huge fucking push for Jose Abreu, right? Not offering, not even close to the contract with fucking Xander Bogarts, (laughs) but you make a push for fucking Jose Abreu. What the fuck? What the fuck? I, I suppose because you 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 do have contingency plans. You do have existing you do have existing people in free agency out there. You have Trey Turner who's coming off of the worst fucking season of his career, right? And then you have you have what Carlos Correa? Okay, I mean one of the better shortstops in baseball, but you're not gonna fucking sign him. Like the money he commands, you're not you, you don't want to give it to him. You don't want to you don't want to pay anybody. You want to hoard all the cash. You want to dump it into Liverpool. You want to save it so the books look good, so you can go out there and get the fucking Redskins, or I'm sorry, Commanders, or football team, or whatever they are fucking called this day. I, I don't even know. 
But there's one thing and there's one thing only. With everything going on, you've just made Rafael Devers your most expendable fucking, your, your biggest trade ship at this point. You're going to trade Devers. Because you're not fucking re-signing him. So you're going to, you have to trade him. You're blowing up the Boston baseball team. That's what's happening at this point. I mean, you do have a, you do have a, uh, you know, you have a Sidani Raffaella, or however you pronounce his name. He's, I mean, he's the shortstop of the future, right? And maybe they're putting all that eggs no, in that basket. No, 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 no. Not, not if you talk to real baseball people, because they're, they're going to tell you Marcelo Meyer is the shortstop of the future. I, I mean, either way, are either one of them Xander Bogarts? I mean, maybe they can grow to become Xander Bogarts, but I mean, you have Xander Bogarts. Well, you had Xander Bogarts. And again, Easy. I, I, sorry. I'd like to keep my hearing. I'm sorry. I, I, I really apologize. <laughs> and when we go to YouTube, I, you guys will actually see what the fuck's going on right now because I'm fucking red. I'm losing my skull. I want to pound fucking... Uh, that's, nope, we're not going to use that because that's, that's, that's going to be left... <laughs> I want to hit something or someone. I want to slam doors. I want to fucking... I just... I can't. I can't with this team. I just... I fucking can't. By the way, this segment right now should be our opening credits segment when we go to YouTube. Because this will draw a lot of hits. The powerhouses in baseball are doing every fucking thing they can to keep up in that league. And the Boston fucking Red Sox... The most story what I'm sorry, the most storied franchise in baseball other than the New York Yankees are doing nothing. They're fucking signing Jin Sung Yu or whatever the fuck his face is and fucking training for him. That is it. You're training for relievers who have over four fucking runs in an ERA. You're fucking you're 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 not doing anything that you need to be doing. What in the actual fuck is happening in Boston with their fucking baseball team, the Red Sox. I'm sorry. And that's it. That's all I got. Fuck them. Absolutely fuck them. Can we go to the next segment, please? For the love of fucking Christ. May I speak? Yes, go ahead. As the facilitator in this, on this program, may I speak? Okay, good. Yeah, I'm putting, I'm, I'm, I'm turning my mic off. I'm, I'm muting myself. Okay, good. Can I actually see you do that, please? Okay, so <laughs> I started to be out on this team when everybody in this room, regardless of how big of a baseball fan you are, okay, Jason's actually wiping sweat off his brow. Um, but um, for the last three or four years, you've not signed a serviceable first baseman. Everybody knows first base is one of the easiest positions to find somebody that's serviceable. They and they only got Eric Hos they only agreed to get Eric Hosmer uh, at the deadline last year because the Padres agreed to pay 85% of his total salary. I mean, you could put Mitchie two bags Marlin back out there and Anything would have been more serviceable than fucking Franchi Cordero. I mean, my God. You know what, guys? Because we all know that I'm a 90s person. You know who the most successful person named Haim is in the history of Haim? Haim Saban, the executive producer of the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. Heim Bloom can't do his fucking job, but Heim Saban 
created a franchise that lasted 30 years and has people crying over a 49-year-old grown-ass man, like, passing away, RIP JDF, but Haim Saban is the most successful Haim out there, and we care more about fucking the, what is that new concert hall called? Uh, MGM Grand. At Fenway? Yep. Okay. I never thought I'd say this, but bring back Larry Lucchino. Please. But it, but aren't the isn't Heim Plume doing what he was brought here to do? He's not. He wasn't brought here to build. I, uh, he wasn't. Theoretically, John. Sorry to cut you oh, off. Theoretically, he's he was brought here to do. He's doing what he was brought here to do. But essentially, what you're seeing now is he was brought here to do nothing and let the team fucking drown and de- devalue the team so they can sell it. I guess I I don't know I don't know what the fuck they're doing. He he was brought here to be essentially a stooge. He wasn't brought here to build a contender. He wasn't brought here to build a well, world. What champion. the fuck are they doing? They're taking advantage of the Red Sox fans that are going to continue buying the tickets. We saw last year up until the last week of the season, they were selling out that place. If Red Sox fans want to make it a point to those cheapskates that own this baseball team, you know what? Don't go. Don't watch. Don't pay attention. Don't do anything associated with the Red Sox. Just make it a point that you're wasting your frustration because they don't care. You look at the owners of Boston, Charlie and Jeremy Jacob. Yes, we give them a lot of crap. You know why? Because they're sitting up in, you know, the ninth floor of the garden just watching down on the players. They don't they're have They're not even a field. doing that. They're in Buffalo. Right. Same thing with the Red Sox. When's the last time we really saw John Henry or Tom Warner at a Red Sox game really taking in the atmosphere? We haven't seen that in a long time. We see Robert Kraft at the Patriots game. We see him in the locker room. We see the same thing with the Celtics ownership. To me, this Red Sox ownership, all they care about is the bottom dollar. And if Red Sox fans are going to continue being fish in a pond looking for food, you know, with your mouth open looking up, Sweet Caroline, cheap beer, leaving the seventh inning, go cross Lansdown. That's all Red Sox fans are. To me, the reason this team is declining is because the Red Sox fans aren't doing what they should, and that's holding this ownership's, you know, pants to the fire, if you will. You know, it's pretty fucking sad now that I sit here and think about it. Jason, I I do want to do a wellness check real quick. Are I'm you, still I'm still here. I'm, are you okay? I'm calming there? down. Okay, I'm still well, here. Well, you might not calm down after you hear my take. Right. <laughs> the Brockton Rocks of the Futures Collegiate Baseball League are more entertaining at this point, and have more star power in the offspring of their former players than the Red Sox do. You're not wrong. You're not, and their tickets are like five bucks. Like. John, John think about that. I, I, I covered them for a few games. As but. somebody who has covered them, yeah. am I wrong? No, you're not wrong. And that's because the Brockton Rocks are, they made it known that this season was about putting out, you know, the offspring of the, uh, David Manny. Ortiz, Manny Ramirez, Gary Sheffield, and Pedro Martinez. They and made Keith it known. Folk. Right, Keith Folk. He was a part of the ground screw, I think, for a few days. But <laughs> he was actually a pitching. Instructor for a few games too. 
Yeah, and they were interesting to watch. But again, they made it known that, you know what, this season we're going to really force it out there that this is about the five players that, you know, were kind of brought in here that are major league offspring. But just to get back to Xander Bogarts for a second, why? I think the one. I had to take a deep breath there, people, because I'm I'm pissed. I think my headphones are off. (laughs) (laughs) I think the one thing to look out for. I don't expect it to happen, but I think what you're going to hear from some of these Red Sox (laughs) honks, your Millikans and Carabases, is while the Red Sox just wanted to wait for the other teams to come in, so that way Xander Bogarts could come to them. Unfortunately, they've burned bridges with Xander Bogarts because of what they did with Mookie Betts. This is going to be an underlying tone as long as this Red Sox ownership owns the team. This is going to be an underlying tone of what to expect for the future when you get any shot at a free agent coming through. But here's my problem, John. Forget about what they did with Mookie. They burned the fucking bridge when they blew it up with Lester. They burned the fucking bridge. Yep. You know, when they traded Lester to Oakland, I think it was. Yep. With Johnny Gomes. For Cespedes. By the way, where the fuck is Cespedes? Is he even in the league anymore? No. Okay. I think he's playing in, like, the Dominican. Okay. My point exactly. (laughs) When they traded Lester to Oakland, they banked on the fact that because Lester loved it in Boston, they thought they could flip him for prospects and then have Lester come back. With the added benefits of the now newly acquired prospects being in the system. Guess what? Lester, in the beginning, I would have said that was the right move. That was the right strategy because Lester, you know, you he was a heartstrings kind of guy. Problem was, after being somewhere else for, what, two and a half months, he realized he could play anywhere. And then went to Chicago and broke that curse. So, I mean, the precedent of them burning the bridge, I mean, they burnt it with Lester. The problem is they never rebuilt it with Moogie. And it, it, it's an embarrassment. That team in Fenway right now is fucking embarrassing. And this is the closest... I've seen Jason Sparks come to having a stroke and not being mad at me about something stupid that we argue about because, you know, we have stupid brotherly arguments all the time. Probably because you're the red-headed stepchild, but, man, I'm with you, Jason. I'm out. Fuck this team. I, 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 I will never hate them as much as I hate the Yankees, but, my God, can you spend... Some fucking money. The Yankees are fucking. Uh, the, the Yankees. The are, whole the whole division's better than them. The, the Yankees have like what? What was the offer to Aaron Judge? What, was like nine years, three hundred billion dollars. Like like ten years, three hundred million. Yeah, like they're they're out there spending. Like fuck the luxury tax. Luxury tax is just a fucking like it's. it's and they're nothing. not even spending to the level that their father spent. Right. I, I mean, I mean, the Yankees now compared to their father are considered. You know. Moderately cheap, but the Red Sox are operating like they're the fucking Kansas City Royals. Shit. If I'm Alex Cora, I say this is embarrassing, and I I walk right the fuck out of there. I, I go back to 
Puerto Rico and try to rebuild that fucking cesspool of an island. And it's not that it's their fault, but they get hit with a hurricane like every other week, it seems like. Well, us as fucking Boston baseball team fans. Is this what I is this what I'm is this what happens in this room when I'm on the other side of the wall working and I just hear screaming? Yes. Oh, okay. <clears throat> yes. All right. Yes. All right. So I mean, I'm out on baseball. I'm beyond out. I'm not out on baseball. I'm out on this fucking team. Well, the problem is the sport is better when the Red Sox are better, but I don't see them getting better no. for at least five years. Until they're sold. And Milliken, I love you. I listen to you. I, I, I see your stuff on Twitter all the time. Please come on the show and defend yourself. And defend the nerd um, sector of the baseball world. But, God, we need help. And we need to wrap this up because we're going to have medical issues pretty soon. So we will go to commercial. And we will come back with top five sports upsets. Bye. This team's bullshit. Too familiar with pain, all too familiar with pride I've been on my knees six, but gotten up seven times It was never even a question of is it gonna be mine It's not a matter of chance, just a matter of time I've been watching the clock, 10,000 hours go by Mercifully, people, we are back to discuss Quite possibly the most fun segment of this week. The other two, the other two weren't fun. I, I, it was fun for us. They, yeah. they were fun for us, but I was seriously I concerned wait. about your health. I think LJ might be healthier with a one hundred and one fever than you. Um, you know, talking about the Red Sox. You or, should never be able to see your heart beating, but I can. No. Um, <laughs> Sorry. Go ahead. So, top five sports. Upsets. Um, this is not exclusive to New England, but uh, Jason, I will let you go first. Um, okay. He so, who ends the segment the angriest gets to start the next segment the uh, happiest. Consolation prize. Yeah. <laughs> um. Okay. So top five upsets. So for me, number five, I have North Carolina State over Houston in the 1983 national title game. Um, Ooh, yeah, I, that ties in with my um, one of my top five sports moments. It does. So, um, you know, Houston, who they were led by two eventual NBA Hall of Famers, Clyde Drexler and Nikita Olajuwon. Uh, that, that team tore through the nation. They went thirty-one and two. Um, but the Wolfpack, you know, they they came to play that game. They had a full-on assault, you know, late in the game. Who was it? Derek Weitenberg and it had an volume to Lorenzo Charles, I believe it was right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, all the up to to win the game, you know, North Carolina State won that game fifty four fifty two in one of the one of the best games in in college basketball history, if not the best game. So, yeah. Um. So that's number five. Uh, number four, you had uh, nineteen sixty nine. You had the New York Jets beating the Baltimore Colts, and that's the one where um Joe Namath actually called his shot and guaranteed a victory. Um, the Colts had no answer for the Jets that game. Um, very first AFL team to actually win. Uh, the, the the newly the newly made Super Bowl um, that was the Super Bowl three I believe it was mm-hmm. right yes yeah so uh, that's number four uh, number three Brian I'm sorry and everyone else probably listening to this podcast I'm sorry it's going to be the Patriots and the Giants the Giants knocking off the Patriots in 2008 uh, that Patriots team as we all know went 19 to 0 
uh, came into that Eight, game. 18 I'm sorry, 18 and 0 came into that game, and they were they were heavily favored. I, I think they were favored by like something like 14 points. They were favored by 17 and a half. Jesus Christ! So, um, yeah, they 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 went into that game as heavy favorites. Actually, I think uh, you can correct me if I'm wrong. I think it was like two or three weeks before that they had just beat the Giants, right? I think it was three. Yeah, because it was no, week it was, seventeen. It was four because it was week seventeen, and then the okay, yeah, three rounds of the playoffs. So yeah, and then you had you had one of the most iconic moments in in, in Super Bowl history. You know, David Tyree uh, late in the fourth quarter. I don't know if catch. it was iconic, but it was the luckiest. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so that that led to the to the Plexico Burris touchdown and the uh, the eventual giant win. So um, that would be number three. Number two, uh, I'm not going to get deep down into it. We've talked about it at nauseum, but that's going to be the uh, U.S. hockey beating the Soviet Union's at Lake Placid. Um, of course you would pick that. Um, number one, number one, um, it it's going to be a night in Moscow, right? It's going to be the night that Mike Tyson was knocked out by Buster Douglas. Oh, good That's one. your number one upset? That's my number one upset. Oh. Number one upset, yep. Ooh. Um. The, I mean the odd the the odds for Tyson. Uh, the, I'm sorry, uh, Jason can't. Talk. I can't even talk right now. I'm so <laughs> fucking upset about the fucking baseball team. Um, <laughs> he's lost brain cells and he's I, not I, even. I have. He's yeah, not I mean, even drinking alcohol. The, the, the odds were about fifty to one to win that game. Uh, Buster Douglas had win that game. It's a win match. that match. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> God damn, I'm so fucking <laughs> flustered right now. God. Um, yeah, so uh, it was the, there was fifty to one odds on that, and Tyson was supposed to run rough shot, and he took a punch, man. He Buster Douglas, um, actually. So little known fact, actually, John, you you may know this. Um, I I can't remember exactly what wrestling event it was, but Tyson was actually slated to to come in. I think it was like WrestleMania three or four. Um, Tyson was actually slated to come in as a as a uh, as a guest appearance, and. That all fell apart when he lost to Douglas. Really, uh, Bruce Pritchard and Vince McMahon said, "Wait a minute, he just lost. He was supposed to come off of a, he's supposed to be coming off of an iconic win. He's supposed to be undefeated at that point. You know, heavyweight champion of the world. And all of a sudden, Douglas no- knocks him out. And Vince and Bruce Pritchard are like, oh, we probably want to rethink this and actually wind up bringing in Buster Douglas for that event. Well, it worked out. I mean, WrestleMania 14. I think that one kind of <laughs> right worked out well for them. So, so yeah. So that that's my number one upset. Um, nobody saw that coming. Nobody. Mm. Nobody. So. Um, to recap, no, number five, North Carolina State over Houston. Number four, uh, the Jets uh, over the Colts in Super Bowl three. Uh, Patriots falling to the Giants in 2008, uh, ruining the undefeated uh, campaign. Um, U.S. hockey beating Soviet Union in Lake Placid in 1980. And finally, Mike Tyson getting knocked the fuck out by Buster Douglas. Mm-hmm. Top five upsets. Okay, well, John, I'm going to defer to you because... I'm I'm gonna have overall comments after you guys are done, and then I'll do mine. All right. So I have a couple that kind of go along with what Jason was talking about the um, Super Bowl three and um, Super Bowl forty one, because I I I think I told you guys this. I take uh, some responsibility. Forty two. Sorry. Yeah. I take some responsibility because I uh, worked every Sunday during the, that football season, and the one game I took off was the uh, Super Bowl, and that was the one they lost. So. Those are my first two. Uh, number three is an interesting upset, and I use the word upset a little loose here, but the Bruins in 2010 losing to the Philadelphia Flyers because when you're up 3-0 in a series and you allow the other team to come back and you have a 3 nothing lead, 
in game seven, and I can already feel the hate coming from the uh, facilitator seat over here. To me, that's an upset. Uh, it's a choke job, obviously, but that's an upset. But then you also have number two for me is the uh, 16-1 UMBC Virginia upset because you look at what Virginia did the next year. Oh, good one. You look at what Virginia did the next year, they won the championship. So they kind of learned from that. And to me, that kind of puts a little more legitimacy in UMBC saying that, you know what, you beat a championship-esque caliber type of franchise. And number one, I'm a Celtics fan, so I have to go with the Celtics. In 2016, breaking the Warriors' 54-game home winning streak in Oracle, with that franchise, with that team that they had, with the likes of Isaiah Thomas, Jared Sullinger, Avery Bradley, when you're knocking off a team that finished out that season at 73 and nine, and you break their record or you break their 54 game home winning streak, to me that's a hell of an upset. Yeah, that's a good Especially one. when you're holding someone like Steph Curry to what 20 points, something like that. You, Steph Curry was the only one that scored more than 20 points. So the fact that the Celtics were able to do that. To me, that was not just one of the biggest upsets in NBA history, but to me, that was the up, that was an upset that kind of put the Celtics back on the map as far as a legitimate contender. I think that was the birth of the uh, the King of the Fourth, right? With yep. Isaiah Thomas, right there. Yeah, that's uh, that's the game that led to Kyrie Irving coming into Boston. You know what? Everything <laughs> everything has a downside. Yeah, it does. So, mm-hmm. O'Brien. Oh, um... <laughs> Go ahead. Okay. Okay. Number five for me, you guys have already mentioned it, Joe fucking Namath and the Jets. Quite possibly the last time the Jets were really, really, really relevant. Butt fumble. Uh, well, yeah, that was relevant. <laughs> that was relevant, but it was relevant for comedy. Go ahead. Um, number four has to be... Um, the Giants, uh, Patriots. Um, number three for me, I forget what year it was, but when the Stamford Cardinal went in and broke UConn's 99 Ooh, good one. home game winning streak. Forgive me, people, I forget the year, but UConn had won so much at that point that it was basically a foregone conclusion that if you went to stores... You were going to lose. And then um, number two for me is actually the Patriots over the Rams, who the Rams at that point had had the largest um, predicted point spread at 14 points. And that team literally came out of nowhere, thanks to my boy getting injured. Um, You know, that... That was just so unforeseen. And number one, to take a page out of John's book, you know, it's not a traditional upset. It's more of a series upset. Is the Red Sox comeback against the Yankees? Because statistically no one in the history of the sport had done that. Um... Still hasn't, right? Still hasn't. Yeah. Um, one honorable mention, and I always think of this stuff after we start doing it, is that um, upset. I forget, again, I forget what year, but it was 
when Patrice Bergeron scored the goal in overtime against Toronto. Oh, that was big. Yeah. When they were when they were down four, uh, no, nah, seventeen was too recent. Yeah, no, it, it like might have been thirteen. It might have been no, it might have been two thousand because they played like Toronto three years in a row. I think. Please hold. Yeah, well, you got. Yeah, I'm gonna look it up. Go ahead. It might have been 2013, uh, I think. But anyway, my father and I had turned it off. 2013. Yep. They had tur- We had turned it off because it was four one with like seven minutes left in the third period, and we went back to it just because there was nothing else on, and we said, "Holy shit, this thing's tied," and famous, you know. Famous moment that came out of that game was for those of us that listened to the ninety-eight-five uh, the sports hub. Jim Murray, big Jim Murray, was down in Atlanta at the time, working for W. Uh, I don't know whatever station it was in Atlanta, and he actually swore on air uh, and called James Reimer a bum. Yes, he did. So that was an honorable mention. But again, I know I don't see how. Anybody could not put the Yankees, Red Sox, uh, you know, with the Red Sox finishing off that series, being down 0-3, and actually in game game three, the last game that the Yankees had won that series, they actually won 19-8. So, I mean, it wasn't so much that they were down, but not only were they down, but they were down big at that point. So that's that's my thoughts. So did this upset discussion come off of the uh, Utah Arizona game last no, week? No, I didn't. I didn't even go there. <laughs> I because I saw upsets on my phone when I texted Jason <laughs> about the topics. I'm like, okay, I know why we're doing this, but no, 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 no. Honestly, no. But I, I would, I Th- would. This was all my brainchild. I, I would go to say that uh, 1992 Arizona um, losing to Santa Clara in the NCAA tournament was actually probably the biggest upset there. Was um, Steve Nash on that? That was Steve Nash. Yeah, it was a Steve Nash. Yeah, that's actually the one that put him on the map and got him drafted in the, uh, into the NBA by f- the Mavericks. I think, the Ma- right. I think the Mavericks are the ones that drafted him. I'm pretty sure it's no. I think it was Phoenix. No, he was traded to Phoenix. I mean, I'm pretty sure it was the Mavericks. It maybe the other way around. I don't know. No, I think he started with Phoenix and then went to the Mavericks. John, and then fact check that, please. And then I got, got you. And then got right. traded back to yeah. Phoenix. But no, um, th- that you talk about an honorable mentions. That that for me as a um as an Arizona guy, that that's an honorable mention. I mean, that team, even as a two seed, that was actually I believe the very first time that a, a um a fifteen seed actually knocked off a two seed. That was up until that time was the probably the biggest upset in college basketball history. So with the fifteenth uh, pick in the nineteen ninety six draft, the Phoenix Suns, Phoenix Suns okay. selected Steve yep. Nash. Um, but yeah, uh, that that may have been a, a bigger upset than the Utah game the other day. Uh, which, by the way, now that, now that we mentioned the Utah um, Arizona game, Jason, as he often does, came in my house and goes, "Listen, I'll make you a deal." And for those of you that don't know, anytime that Jason says, "I'll make you a deal." Usually there's some sort of negotiation on the other end. There's of a it caveat to it, yeah. For, for some sort of going in on halves on something, whether it be a video game system or, you know, sharing custody of a TV or whatever the case may be. <laughs> um, but this time he came into my house and goes, 
simply put, I won't mention your upset. <laughs> uh, no, I won't mention your loss if you don't mention mine. But no, John, to answer the general question, um, this top five upsets is actually a byproduct of my podcasting, uh, programming, and producing wisdom. Nice. And a lot of these top five segments have actually come out of my brain. Yeah, I mean, he, he does his best thinking while masturbating. <laughs> Shut up. I, I, I'm just going to leave that one alone, I think. <laughs> <laughs> let's, ask, anyway. let's ask Shane. Let's <laughs> ask him. But yeah, uh, that, that 92... That ninety two uh, was a really bad upset. I I really I'm I'm surprised. Me being a college basketball guy, I'm really really surprised I didn't have the um the Virginia game on there. That's a that's a really good one. Yeah, that was sneaky. Yeah, that was that was a good. What take. year was that? Uh, Stanford Cardinal upset of UConn. I'm not sure. But uh, John's gonna look it up this, now. This requires too much research here. I I, but, I I know that was monumental because. Literally, they had won like ninety nine straight home games. Yeah, it, yeah, that's like the equivalent of like I don't know ten. Why didn't Why didn't we put you beating me in Madden up there? I mean, that was a pretty fucking big upset. Twenty fourteen, by the way. Twenty fourteen. Yeah. Twenty fourteen. God, that was a while ago, huh? Eight years. Wow, that was eight years ago. Jesus. Okay. Time flies, but yeah, so, me, me being yeah, you being me beating me and you know, you God damn it, I've had such a fucking time. The poor bastards on the road while you're driving out of here. <laughs> uh, but yeah, you beating me, man. That's that's definitely gonna be up there. You know why? Because it's Cause, never happened other than that, and that's actually the last time I think we played. Because you refused to bring legitimacy to my wins. Whenever they do happen, because you always say, "What kind of fucking bullshit's that?" With yeah. the toe tap, yeah, with true. with the you know out of bounds, with the <laughs> ball levitating through the receiver. Yeah, but hey, if 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 we forgot something and you guys know, you know, leave something in the comments, the Spotify comments. Uh, we, we usually get those. So yeah, and uh, thank you as always for being you know loyal um, listeners and you know keeping our numbers steady because we did some actually we stumbled upon some research this week with the what is it the Spotify yearly wrap up yeah yeah so I want to give you know our loyal fan base a um a shout out uh to sticking with us and we only have I think two more shows before the holiday break. Uh, and this is to give you a heads up that we are going to be breaking for the holidays because everybody, you know, should and should want to and is somewhat required to spend time with family, even even if we don't always want to. Um, but uh, we have some, you know, new cool new stuff coming up after the year after the new year begins. Uh, we will be going on. YouTube, so that you will be able to see uh, Jason turning red. And like, possibly TikTok. Like Rudolph. Uh, we will be going on TikTok, because yeah. I will figure out how to get that done. Um, so, for because the, there have been a number of you that have asked me personally, are you guys going to be on YouTube? Are you guys going to be able to be watched as well as listened to? And I can promise you this. If you find us entertaining... 
listening to us, it's only going to be even funnier when you can actually see not so much what we say, but the reactions to what each other is saying. So, again, thank you. Um, and we will keep going. Swing juice. Swingjuice.com. Take a couple swings as far as gift uh, shopping for the holidays. And get yourself some swag. John, we got to get you uh, all geared up in the swing juice sweatshirts. I don't have mine this week. Um, but, man, they are really comfortable. Locker Talk 20 is the promo code. They have a bunch of um, ugly sweaters for the holidays. Uh, and they Swing Juice recently announced that they um, are going to be launching as well on um, Fanatics. They've already launched. It's already uh, they, there. They already have? Yeah, it's already there. Okay. So big time. So, yeah. Big time. Big time, guy. It's, big time. it's big that we're partners with them and, you know, we appreciate them. And, you know, show us some love by and by supporting the program by going to swingjuice.com. Use LockerTalk20 as the promo code. Gets you 20% off your total order. And uh, we will see you next week. Have a good one. Bye. Bye.